us a good afternoon and welcome to the Minor League Baseball Podcast. That doesn't really apply when you're recording a podcast. People can listen to it at literally any time. Yeah, well, I mean, if it is an afternoon, good afternoon. We don't want to cut you out if you are listening in the afternoon. If you're listening in the afternoon, this would have been very, you would have felt very personalized in our introduction to this episode. If, you know, if it was a morning. Welcome, insert your name here to the Minor League Baseball (laughs) Podcast. Um, Hey, hi, everybody. It's the 158th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. And we welcome you inside. My name is Tyler Mon. His name is Sam Dykstra. And, uh... We talk about all the latest and greatest, the wheelings and dealings of minor league baseball, and uh, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. Show Before the Show podcast is at MILB.com slash podcast. We're also on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and the Stitcher app and everywhere else. And if you can, through your service, leave us a rating and a review and a subscription and uh, and say hello sometime, podcast at MILB.com. And hello, Sam. How are you? I am good. I'm good. Should we talk about the email we Absolutely got last week? Absolutely we should. Yes, certainly. Um, yeah, we got a cool one that I uh, screenshotted and um, posted on Twitter because, you know, there's so much garbage in the world these days, especially on the Internet, that every once in a while when something good happens, you're like, hey, this is pretty cool. And we got a, an email from uh, a listener, Lance, Lance Carter, who was a, a Frisco designated eater at one point. And um, Lance got in touch with us and said, quote, I just wanted to tell you a story about my two-year-old son. He is your youngest fan. This started about three months ago. He was playing with one of his toys and decided... I decided to turn on your most recent episode, and the moment he heard the opening riff, he stopped everything he was doing and took an interest to what was being discussed on the show. I thought nothing of it and started talking to him about baseball. Sure enough, the next week I played the newest episode, and he stopped everything and started saying "bayball" in quotes as a two-year-old would. Yes, one of his first words was in some way baseball. Fast forward, anytime I put him in the van with me and go to the store, he will ask for "bayball." I've had to start playing past episodes of your show to entertain him. And then Lance asked in parentheses, any chance on two episodes a week? Um, and this one <laughs> is kind of great, uh, even though it comes somewhat at the expense of our, our colleagues elsewhere. But he said he won't listen to the Cut 4 podcast, StatCast, Fantasy Baseball, or MLB Pipeline podcast. He will only listen to the show before the show. Keep up the great work. That was incredible. That's the coolest yeah, thing that was I've really, ever really nice. gotten in my entire life. I think a lot of it does have to do with the bumper music, which is just very kid-friendly. Yeah, that's and true. It's that's it's very optimistic, and it gets me going every time we play yeah. it. And I do this podcast every week. But I feel like uh, our our previous uh, iteration of the intro music was even better with those those jazzy horns. Yes, that's true. Anybody who we'll have to bring that back one week. Just just (laughs) we'll do a throwback night. We'll do it like a like a minor league promotion. We'll uh, you know we'll try to look younger or something. I don't know. (laughs) It's amazing to me that we've been doing this long enough that we could have a throwback. Yeah, that is true. That's strange. We'll bring Jake back. We could. He's around. I know he is. He's around. Yeah, we could do it. Um, By the way, I was. uh, We're totally off the rails already. there is a, uh, a, a general trend across minor league baseball in minor league baseball players who look like Jake Siner, former co-host of the show before the show podcast. David Peterson of the New York Mets organization. Um, I believe I looked him up one time and his headshot wasn't necessarily Jake-ish. Uh, but David Peterson, the photo that is uh, up for him on MLB Pipeline's top 30 prospects in the Mets organization is very Jake. Um, and the Chicago Cubs used to have, was it Trevor Williams? The Cubs used to have somebody who looked exactly like Jake, like to the point where it was uncomfortable. So in case we can't get Jake on throwback night. Uh, uncomfortable for whom, Tyler? Uncomfortable <laughs> for like, whom? Wait a minute. Is this, does he host the show? And then he also plays in double A? This is so strange. But if we can't get Jake, we can get David Peterson, apparently. Yes, yes, we can. He's he's around. We already have a Mets prospect on this. I was going to say, speaking of the Mets prospects, we have one today. Uh, Peter Alonzo, the AA Binghamton Rumble Ponies, will join us coming up here in a little bit. The first base prospect in the New York Mets organization and the Mets number four overall. A good buddy of mine works in Mets media relations, and I texted him to say that we had talked to Peter Alonzo without going through him, which you're not required to. That's not actually a joke, but just to pretend to try to make him mad. And he said, good, I'm glad you finally got a Mets prospect on your show for a change. Which I have to say, Ooh. we got to wear because we haven't had a Mets prospect on the show for a while. Yes, so. that's why we have him on now. And he yeah. certainly earned it. I mean, exactly. you know, we 
it, this is not any bias against the Mets or anything like that. But, you know, I think what was the last one we had before him, Ahmed Rosario? Yeah, I think so. Which was yeah, but we've also had Dominic Smith on the podcast. We True. had Brandon Nimmo talking about True. living in Wyoming. Yeah, talking like, about we had plenty of Mets his prospects. Dad built. We've had a lot of Mets prospects. You've just graduated yes. all of them, Mets fans. So take right. that. Um, Peter right. Alonso will join us coming up here in a little bit. Uh, Peter, through the month of April, pretty good. Batted four oh eight with a twelve eighty two OPS and seven home runs in the season's first month, and then he went out and added a home run on the first day of May as well. So. Pretty good, and we'll catch up with Peter Alonzo coming up here in a little bit. But before we get to that, we get to three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show. And we're going to start things off talking about the season's first month, and maybe Peter Alonzo will be the answer to one of our questions uh, to this first query, I should say, through three strikes. Your top prospect performer for the month of April, Sam, across the minor leagues. Who you got? Yeah, I mean, I want to say Alonzo, but I feel like we're going to get it so much yeah, into him later. <laughs> what? It's a cop-out, yeah. Yeah, it is a cop out. Um, not anything against him. There's no actual award we're hanging out, handing out here. So it's not like his player page is going to be adjusted because of what we say here. Um, you know, these are all fake, made-up internet awards. But um, if there was one that I think was really dominant this past month, uh, it was Zach Lothar in the Orioles system, uh, a collective balance pick last year, coming out of Xavier. 22-year-old left-hander. Um, you know, they got a little passive with him. He is a college pitcher, so normally I like to see college pitchers start out at Class A advanced. They started him at Class A Delmarva, but he's doing everything that they should be doing at when when you do get put in a, a situation like that, when you, you know, kind of do get a passive assignment. Um, and not only that, he's, he's doing better than any other college pitcher, maybe any other pitcher in minor league baseball. Uh, through four starts... Uh, with the the shorebirds he struck out 39 batters in 22 innings walking only three opponent opposing batters were hitting 120 against him and he had an era of 1.23 and a whip of 0.55 let me run through his strikeout numbers he struck out 13 over six no hit innings in his debut on April 9th, struck out seven in his next, 11 in his third, and eight in his fourth start. Uh, has yet to go above 90 pitches. So he's pitching extremely efficiently, especially for a guy who's hit double-digit strikeouts twice already. Usually strikeouts can eat up pitch counts and stuff like that, uh, keep guys from going deep. But he's either thrown five or six innings in each of his first four starts. Uh, he's really fun to watch, not necessarily because he's a big velo guy or has a really good breaker or really good changeup, anything like that. He has kind of a basic average um, pitching skill set. But he's got crazy deception. It's really hard to pick the ball out of his hand. Uh and he's also got crazy extension. You know, he's six foot two. He's not Randy Johnson up there. He's not standing over you, but he's getting as close to the plate as he can. Uh, it's really fun to watch him pitch, especially when he's putting up strikeout numbers like this. I'll be really interested to see what will happen with him when he does get the bump up to Class A advanced. Uh, what happens to him then uh, when he moves up to Frederick? But for now, he's doing everything. You know, you would you kind of think. Uh, a college pitcher should or at least dominating you know again even more so than that uh, I, I mentioned that the deception is really good the extension is really good I'll also throw out this number uh, lefties against him so far only have one hit uh, that their batting's 0.042 against him so maybe someday you know maybe this all works out that he's a lefty reliever ends up being a lefty long man again none of his pitches really scream plus pitches quite yet um, but for him to take what seems like an average skill set and turn it into some really eye-popping numbers has really been really fun to watch. Uh, part of me wants to see him be there for a little while longer and see just how crazy he can handle this and show that it's not just you know relatively small sample. Um, but the other part of me wants to really see him challenged and, and see what happens when you need to be more than just funky uh, to get a lot of strikeouts. So uh, really exciting first month, though, for Zach Lothar. Uh, he's my starting pitcher of the month of April. I would choose him as my most eye-popping prospect of the first month of April. Uh, I can't wait to see what comes from him in May. He's yet to pitch in May, so we'll see what happens when he gets back out there. 
Um, I'm going to stay in the beltway and go with a pitcher as well. And uh, my selection is Austin Voth, who is a 25-year-old right-hander in the Washington Nationals organization. And in five starts this month, a 0.76 ERA. But these are the numbers that stand out. Opponents are batting 157 against him, 30 strikeouts against three walks. Uh, And both of the runs that he has allowed are on solo homers. So basically he's made two mistake pitches for the entire month of April. Um, But, you know, a guy who... (laughs) He's not a ranked prospect. He's not a guy who right now is in the the top tier of pitching prospects in that organization. But pitching depth in a system in which, you know, more than likely you're going to be called upon to help position a team for a postseason run. um, That's something that's pretty huge for the Nationals to have. And a guy who is at that level who could be called upon, um, you know, in relatively short order. And Austin Voth is uh, like a college guy, as we were discussing a moment ago, and somebody who you might expect – is going to be somewhat more polished coming into the latter stages of his minor league career. But last year, that was not the case. Last year, in 23 combined outings between AA and AAA, he had an ERA near six uh, with Harrisburg and with Syracuse. In Syracuse last year, 13 starts, 1-7, and seven, a 6.38 ERA. Opponents batted 310 against him. He had a whip of 1.79. And the strikeout and walk numbers were not good. 42 strikeouts to 34 walks in AAA last year. This year, the numbers have been crazy. And uh, Austin Vaughn is positioning himself as somebody who could potentially get a call and be part of something for uh, for the Washington Nationals here pretty soon. Yeah, and I, I think he actually already was called up for a day just to be like an extra arm uh, the other day and then was sent back down the next yes, day. But still, that is true. April yeah, 29th, but, he was called up and then was optioned back on the 30th. So he didn't appear. Right. He hasn't yet made his debut, but yes. But right, yeah, he has at least been in a major league dugout. He's experienced it and all that kind of stuff. So that is really cool for him. He was kind of – I paired him in my mind for the last couple of years with A.J. Cole of just somebody who has been pretty good at AAA, um, has always been knocking on that door. And, you know, Washington has needed a fourth or fifth starter for the last couple of years, which one of these guys is going to finally break through. Uh, it hasn't been Cole for a while. They DFA'd him earlier this spring. He's now with the Yankees. Um, but maybe Voth is turning this around and, and it'll be really interesting to see what they do with him, how much they do trust him, how much they do trust these early numbers. Obviously, they've already brought him up, so they think that he's at least worthy of a look. Um, how much he can make of that and further looks going forward will be a lot of fun. Strike two this week, Sam. Similar uh, topic to that one, but um, somebody who maybe we did not expect to see huge things out of, maybe we haven't really heard about in a prospect context um, at all so far. Give me the guy who is on your radar now who was not at the start of this season. Yeah, so this is, um, you know, the the crux of the question makes it sound like it shouldn't be a ranked prospect, and I get that, but um, Austin Allen is somebody, you know, he's the 28th ranked prospect in the Padre system, which for most other systems, maybe we're talking about he, him getting ranked in the teens, I get that, um, but, you know, he, he's somebody who doesn't do anything especially great or hadn't really coming into this year, uh, you know, the, the best thing about him might be his power, uh, he hit 22 home runs last year, hit 31 doubles, but that came at Class A advanced Lake Elsinore. And, uh, you know, I'm going to always scrutinize anybody who puts up decent power numbers like that in the California League. That being said, you know, he was jumping to double A San Antonio this year. So, again, not really expecting anything crazy out of him. All he's done is lead minor league baseball and extra base hits. He had 20 extra base hits in all of April. Um, you know, that led the minors. Those were eight home runs and 12 doubles in 23 games. He had a 1.195 OPS. Um, you know, for somebody who's playing in a system that is very crowded, you know, he needs to do everything he can to kind of stick out. And, you know, I'll be honest, when I'm following this Padre system, a lot of it is the arms. It's the, you know, Mackenzie yeah. Gores, the Cal Quantrills, the Michelle Baez, the Adrian Morhone, yada, yada, yada. Allen has... You know, he, he's putting himself into that conversation with Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, Jorge Oña, a couple other guys in that system that are very good hitters. Uh, Franchi Cordero, we're already seeing everybody's kind of seeing what he's capable of uh, as he's about to lose his prospect status. If he hasn't already, I think he might have already. But 
um, you know, Allen is showing that this Padre system is not just arms. There's more to it. And the way he's handled not only getting out of the Cal League and still showing power, but also making that jump to double A in general. You know, double A, you're going to start seeing major league arms, guys who know how to pitch backwards, who know how to nibble at the zone. They're going to actually be throwing in the zone. They're not making as much mistakes. He's still punishing them, you know, with a 714 slugging percentage, which is insane to me, uh, through 25 games now that we're into May. So, you know, I, I he somebody I didn't want to pay attention to necessarily in the Padre system, just be like, okay, I get it. He's ranked, but that doesn't mean much to the point where he's only proving just how deep that Padre system is. You know, if he's this good and he's still by the middle of the season, we're still talking about him as maybe the 20th best prospect in this system. That says a lot more about San Diego uh, than it does about Austin Allen. And, you know, I, I don't think catcher is exactly a spot where, at least from a minor league perspective, that the uh, Padres are deep at. Um, so he could kind of worm his way in there. You know, they have Austin Hedges there at, at the major league level, and, uh, you know, they're hoping he's going to be there for quite a long time, given the way he, he can be special defensively. But Allen is only two stops away, and, you know, we talked about this later with Peter Alonzo. Uh, you'll hear that during our interview segment. He said he feels close after this really good first month uh, because he knows what happens, you know, when you are a double A, how quickly things can move. Um, Allen is right in there in that conversation um, as well. You know, he might not be putting quite up the same numbers as Peter Alonso, but uh, I'm starting to think about him more and more as a power hitter uh, to the extreme. And we'll, we'll see what happens when double A pitchers start to get a little bit more of a scattering report on him. Uh, we'll see how the Texas league adjusts to him, but um yeah, again, he's he's becoming somebody who I have to check his line every morning just to see how how long he's going to carry this hot streak. Yeah, it really seems like every single time I've been assigned the Texas League, he's doing something. Every given night when he's on the field, he's doing something. Um, I'm going to go uh, – Sam noted that you kind of have to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt when you go to this league at this level. But in the California League, Bryson Brigman and the Seattle Mariners organization is doing a lot. And this is a player who – last year really didn't show a lot offensively and that was kind of the knock on Bryson Brigman was was he going to be able to be a consistent enough offensive performer at the professional level in his debut season he was a product of the University of San Diego came out in 2016 68 games for class a short season Everett batted 260 369 291 660 OPS it's a debut season the end of a long year sure that's fine but he goes up to Clinton last year 120 games batting 235 306 296 over the course of that entire season you don't really know what a bounce back year would look like for a player like that who's so young and hasn't had to do it yet well through the month of April uh, a hell of a way to bounce back so far in the entire month's 22 games that he played 405 485 595 and that slugging percentage is what really stands out because he's got four doubles or four triples rather five doubles four triples and a home run already this season and last year Bryson Brigman hit two home runs. He had four triples. He's already matched that total, and he's already over a third of the way to matching the 14 doubles that he had last year. So not only is he hitting the ball more consistently, he's hitting it with the barrel a lot more consistently. And it's a guy who, you know, that's a system that is lean as far as prospects go. But Bryson Brigman, the Mariners believe that he has the ability to stick it short. He's played some second base this year. But if that bat comes along, that's another tool that you can add and it adds to your case of getting more looks staying at your natural position at shortstop or whatever it is if he is eventually asked to move across the middle infield and play at second base if you're a second baseman with pop if you're a guy who can drive the ball a little bit then you become even more of a dynamic threat as you climb the ladder so yes obviously it is the california league there are some things to take into account still um over the course of 11 home games in modesto which is probably the most neutral playing or the most pitcher friendly of the california league's ballparks he's still slashing 372 471 512 982 OPS 12 games on the road and this includes May 1st in which he went 0 for 3 against Rancho Cucamonga 409 486 36 so he's doing it everywhere and doing it and bouncing back from a difficult season last year so uh somebody to keep an eye on in the Mariner system which is not something that we say super often no not not at all um yeah and I, I really like it when guys kind of go against the grain of what we think are like built in storylines of, yeah, he's doing it, but he's doing it in the Cal league. Well, 
yeah, dig in. Like, give him credit for doing as well as he has in the Cal League. Like you mentioned, his home road splits. Um, yeah, he's going to play play in Lancaster every once in a while and probably pad his stats there. But if, if he's playing as well as at home in that park in Modesto as he is everywhere else, then, um, yeah, we have to give credit where it's due. So good on him. Strike three this week, Sam. A couple of guys got the call to the major leagues, one of them a tremendous surprise in Mike Soroka of the Atlanta Braves organization, who's called up at 20 years old, goes out, very impressive major league debut. Fernando Romero in the Minnesota Twin system, also up to the big leagues. Just give me your reaction on the debuts for these guys. Yeah, so I feel like I should clear this up. I don't know how many of these people who reacted to me in this way you know, on Twitter are listening to the show right now, but I feel like I should clear this up. I tweeted when the news broke of this because this was not like a, oh, Soroka might be called up. Everybody cling to your phones, find right. out. It we was like anticipating this. Yeah, it was just dropped in the middle of a Tuesday morning where it was just like, oh, by the way, Mike Soroka will be making his major league debut tonight against the Mets. And I was just like, that's crazy. Um, good on him. You know, he was really good in four starts at, at Gwinnett. But, uh, you know, he becomes the second 20 year old that the Braves have called up after Ronald Acuna Jr., as we all know. Uh that's an aggressive move. I'm sorry. Like, he, that is aggressive. Everybody else was trying to tweet at me saying, like, well, he was, you know, he is their best pitching prospect. And he is, uh, you know, he has done really well. And he's answered the call and all this kind of stuff. Why not call him up? Because this doesn't happen with 20-year-olds. You know, it's very rare that 20-year-old pitching prospects get called up this quickly. The last high school drafted or drafted out of high school pitching prospect that I could find who made his major league debut was Jose Fernandez in 2013. Man. Like, this doesn't happen every year. This is not just like, a, oh, of course it makes sense and Roca's up. So I was a, I was caught by surprise. That doesn't mean I'm not excited. You know, I, I really like Soroka pitching. Uh, you know, he's one of those fun ones to watch, not necessarily, again, because it, he's got a goofy curveball or anything like that, uh, or he's going to be hitting 100 miles an hour. But you know he's going to be efficient. He's going to fill up the zone with all three of his pitches. Uh, his fastball, his slider, his changeup – all above average. I know the Braves are excited about all three. Um, they think he can throw any three, you know, whenever he needs to. And he showed that a little bit against the Mets last night. Did not walk a batter in six innings. Uh, I made this other comment on Twitter afterwards. Um, you know, giving up one earned run on six hits, no walks, and striking out five over six innings is like the quintessential Mike Soroka pitching line anywhere. Um, so to see him carry that to the majors in his debut in a kind of hostile environment in Queens. Uh, you know, the Mets have been surprisingly good to start the year. I shouldn't say surprisingly good, but better than expected. The Braves have been surprisingly good. Um, and so that rivalry's back a little bit. Uh, and a good Canadian boy like Mike Soroka was getting jeered last night in City Field, and he seemed to answer the bell extremely well. So um, that was really exciting to see. Fernando Romero, a little less surprising, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Um, but again, he only had four outings at AAA. Rochester uh, struck out 20 batters, walked 10 in 21 innings. Uh, he has a little bit more electric stuff. I think he threw, uh, he was around 98 miles an hour today, which was the fastest pitch by a Twins pitcher in the StatCast era. Uh, the fastest recorded pitch anyways by a Twins starter. So already lighting up the gun, already impressing with Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota trying to contend this year, trying to piggyback off what happened last year with them. Um, I know they were in the hunt for starting pitching at the in the offseason. Uh, maybe they can find some help internally. Romero could be an answer there. Uh, you know, he, he did pretty well today, made his major league debut on Wednesday. He also did not allow an earned run, uh, striking out five and allowing four hits and three walks in five and two-thirds innings. Um, we'll see how much more they're going to lean on him, uh, see how much more the, the Braves are going to lean on Soroka. Um, but the fact that they brought both guys up this quickly and wanted to give them starts um, is cer certainly telling. And these aren't guys you, you try to yo-yo, uh, especially with Soroka. I can't imagine the Braves saying, OK, thanks, kid. Uh, now go travel on, you know, the, the AAA back roads all over again. Um, I think when he's up, they want him to be up for good. Um, so it's extremely exciting to watch these guys, um, you know, put up zeros in their first start and we'll keep a close eye on them to see where they go from here. 
So that is three strikes for episode number 158 of the show before the show. And uh, you agree, you disagree, you want to chime in, whatever it is, podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon, and we would be uh, happy to engage with you there and discuss these things further, um, including uh, just how many years it would take. If you started trying right now, like let's say you could freeze your current age. If you started trying right now, how long do you think it would take to get a major league call up? Like in years of, of training and playing and like how long do you think it would take? For me at my in my current state? Yeah. You get to Ugh. keep your current age, but you can have like a major league coach, you can have a, a training regimen, you get to eat at the, the big league table, so you're, you know, presumably eating healthy. Uh how long would it take? How long would it take for me to get into a game, you think? Yeah. Oof. Okay, so I'm 28, which means I should be in my prime. I'm almost in my post-prime, which is extremely sad. Um, I think I would just work on the knuckleball okay. all the time. And then there would be some 14-3 to 3 game where they would just be like, just go, kid. Just go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't Which think I think is gaming your system. I think you want me to, like, work out and get a really good yeah. 40 time and a really good, you know, home to first and home to second time and all Your that kind of stuff third. and work on my yeah. power. All that. Yeah. Just but, not going to happen. You're going to go with the gimmick. No, I'm, I'm going to jump like, my oh, way. I'm trying to make the NFL as a long snapper. Yes. Okay. Okay. Hey, um, I will get my baseball reference page, though. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd ever make it, even if I tried the knuckleball thing. I don't think, I just think it would be. So I'm at 32, so obviously I am well post my prime, apparently. And uh, yeah, I don't think I'd ever. I, I kind of measure myself. Into, LeBron James and I were the same year in high school. And like if LeBron is still doing things, I feel like I should still feel good about life. When LeBron asks to retire, whoa, that's going to be a dark day for the class of 2023. <laughs> it is going to be rough. He's still doing things at an elite level, though. Exactly. Tyler, so exactly. You can say so you are at least from an age an perspective We're capable, huge with so. the two-year-olds. Yes, we are huge. demographic. There we go. <laughs> So that's three strikes for episode number 158. We're going to add to the Eastern League and the New York Mets system coming up. Peter Alonzo, the fourth-ranked prospect in that organization, crushing his way through AA, joins the show coming up next. Well, it's been a little while since we've headed to the New York Mets organization, so that's where we will uh, get things started interview-wise this week on the Show Before the Show podcast, where we will find in Binghamton with the Rumble Ponies in the AA Eastern League, Peter Alonzo, who has been crushing uh, everything thrown his way through 22 games to get the 2018 season started. Peter, welcome, man. What's going on? How's uh, the season? Obviously, numbers-wise, has been fantastic. How has the AA level been treating you so far through a month? Um, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Everything's been uh, been treating me well so far, and I'm just really happy to to come out and and have the the start that I've had and been trying to make some noise so I can uh, so I can get up there with the big team hopefully. Um, everyone, every minor leaguer has the hopes of uh, making the big leagues one day, and I mean I'm no different. And I'm just trying to play my way to, to find a way on the on the team. That's all. And now just two levels away and getting started very strong uh, in uh, the pursuit of that big league goal for this season. 22 games this year so far, a 400, 500, 788 slash line with eight homers and 22 RBIs in 22 games. Um, last year, I know Pete, toward the end of the season, you get 11 games at double A. You kind of get that advanced scout look at this level. How much does that impact you when you come in this season? Yeah, it's only 11 games, but you kind of know what to expect, what you're going to see in the Eastern League. What, what exactly did that have to get you ready for? 2018 well i mean uh kind of like you said it was it was kind of kind of just to get my feet wet it was really nice to um it was really nice to come up and and just uh have some time up here and and be familiar with the area um of binghamton and now that i kind of have an idea of what teams are trying to do and um once you get up i guess to, to double a um there's a um it's kind of like you kind of understand a little bit more how uh, teams at a, each organization at a higher level um, uh, pitches, so and kind of like their their strategy or their mo. So I feel like I've gotten a pretty good hold of that so far, and I'm just looking to continue playing well. And and I mean, uh, last year prepared me, and, and now I just uh, took that took that experience and hit the ground running to start 2018. 
Yeah, and as part of that experience, what do you feel like is one adjustment you've made to match that double-A pitching? Um, you know, it's something you took from last year or something even from this spring from your major league time with the Mets uh, up in big league camp. Uh, what was one adjustment that's allowed you to hit the ground running this quick? Well, um, one thing uh, one thing that um, kind of has, uh, has really, really helped me was um, being able to, to take advantage of, uh, of certain pitches uh, because at this level, um, basically everyone has three pitches that they can throw for strikes, and um, and you're not going to get as as much to hit. So you have to be really locked in and be able to capitalize on 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 what you get. It doesn't matter what the count is because like those those two zero three one counts like um, with runners on, especially you're going to see off speed or like I've seen some right on right change ups. I've seen sliders cutters i mean anything that any off-speed pitch or anywhere the pitchers have done a, a pretty good job of uh, of mixing it's just uh, i guess what's been working for me is just uh trying to capitalize uh that one mistake and uh you know the, obviously it's been a special start for you th- this year but last year this same time you know in april you were coming off a, a bad hand injury you spent most of the month on the dl uh kind of compare right. where you are now to where you were just a year out i know you said last year was a figure it out year when we talked in the off season but uh um, right. kind of compare where you feel now compared to where you were just a year ago getting your first full season in no i feel light years ahead because i mean that first full season i mean it's still it's a little different. Um, it's still that very first one. I mean, there's a first time for everything. And that first full season, I, I knew kind of what to expect, but I didn't really uh, have the full grasp. But also, I'm, I'm in a much better mental state, as you can imagine, because it wasn't only um, like the broken hand. I, I mean, I was really, really frustrated because in, uh, in May um, of that year or of, my, of 2016, I broke my hand. Uh, on a fastball in, um, and then I broke my hand again in uh, August, uh, sliding in a second, uh, trying to stretch, a, trying to get like a two-out double, and then I broke it again in April. So it's like three times within a, within like a 10-month or 11-month span or whatever whatever the math is. So it was, it was more frustrating because, I mean, it's just now I'm in a better mind state. I'm healthy now. I look to, um, I look to stay healthy and and. If I'm healthy, I'm able to I'm able to play, and that's huge. Yeah, and at what point this year? Obviously, it's just been a couple of weeks. It's only it's not even been one full month yet. But at, at what time did it feel like this is going to be a special year? Was it some point in spring training, or even that confident co- before starting games with Binghamton, or was there one stretch here with Binghamton where it's felt like everything's kind of locked into place for you? Um, being in like it started in the off season um, when I got a, got the call that I was uh, being invited to big league camp like that was a huge confidence boost and it was huge and I, and and I learned a lot um, I was picking uh, picking brains of um, of a bunch of the bunch of the guys on the on the big club and and all of them were willing to offer advice uh, Jay Bruce Michael Conforto um, Adrian Gonzalez like I mean the list goes on I mean they got a bunch of really good guys up there and. Um, I've asked a lot, and also it was really cool being able to talk with uh, Mike Piazza, and um, kind of what he was he was saying to me is like he's like he told me that I got a chance to to be really really good, and he's just like as soon as you have that sense of like okay you belong, then that's when you're going to be like really really successful. And I mean I know I didn't hit the best in um, big league camp, but defensively and like. I mean, the game felt a little slower this year as a, as a, opposed to last year. And I, I just felt really, really comfortable. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's springtime. I mean, everyone's still trying to get their timing down. I didn't hit the best, but I kind of got a little sense of like, I belong. I'm in the same locker room as like someone I wrote a middle school like project on. I did a project on Jose Reyes when I was in middle school and he was my shortstop one game. It's just like, it's like, all right, like I, like I'm doing it. Like I'm doing what, like I'm doing what I like. Some people like can't even think about doing. Like when I was in college, I couldn't imagine myself in the spot. And it's like once I'm doing it, it's like all right, I can do this and I belong. That's so pretty amazing. That, the the yeah. middle school project thing is pretty cool. Yeah, I, which I thought was crazy. Um, 
and it was a seventh grade like uh, Spanish like like Spanish class project, and we had to pick a famous Latin um, person, whoever like singer or or, or whatnot or singer like uh, activist, and I, I chose Jose Reyes, um, <laughs> and of, of all things. That is so crazy. What was the moment? I mean, obviously that's certainly one of them, but the the first time where you kind of really realized like. Holy cow, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm this close to the major leagues. You know, like you said, in spring training, you kind of figure out, yeah, I can do this. I can play at this level. What, what was that first, like, wide-eyed moment? I mean, you get drafted in 2016. I would imagine you show up at the complex. That's probably one thing. But what was the first time when it really hit you? Like, damn, I'm a professional baseball player now. Um, it hit me um, in spring training of 2017 when I got called up uh, to, uh, to, like, a big league uh, to like a big league game. I was on the minor league side and they just called, called up a hand because someone needed an off day or something like that. Um, and then like I was, I got in that bat or something like that. I remember like I, I like hit the ball and I kind of like blacked out running to first base and it was just <laughs> like, what the hell's going on? And then like, I felt, I felt lost and the game was like super, super sped up. Like those couple innings that, that I was, that was, I was there. It was like, I got, I, I played terribly. I, I missed like a pop up or something like that because like my mom, my, I was thinking about, holy crap! Like I'm here playing with big leaders as opposed to like, as opposed to like, all right, like enjoy the experience and and um like my mindset was that these guys could potentially be your teammates later on this year. So just play with them, see what you can do. And uh, I'm like that didn't that oh crap moment didn't happen this year. And I feel like I'm in a more mature and better mind mind frame um, as opposed to last year. Well, and it's showing right now in the way you've been consistent through this season. And you talked about the approaches that you're seeing from opposing pitching staffs. Walk us through how that's evolved over the course of the year. Because I would imagine, you know, from the 11 games you saw at AA last year, started this season to now being a month in hitting 400 you got eight home runs how have opposing pitchers tried to attack you over the course of this now 33 games over the the last you know two seasons really one season plus in double a how has that changed well it was kind of more this it's well i mean i had i had success um i had success um when i first got up here um and then like in the playoffs like i i hit really well and i mean people know that i can hit so even even from at that point, I mean, I mean, not to sound cliche, but they've kind of thrown the kitchen sink because whether it's like, all right, like um, they're going to throw off speed and, and, and fastball counts, or they're going to try and bust me in with two strikes, or they're going to try and get me to chase, like whether it be a slider change up, they're going to try and brush me off. Like they try and do a lot, but kind of like what I was talking about, it's that, it's that one pitch like per at bat, or maybe even you may not even get one in that bat. You may only get one in a game and uh, one, one of those pitches per game and you have to, you have to capitalize on it. And, um, and it's just like my mentality. It's like, I'm, I'm going to win today. Like I'm going to capitalize and I'm going to, I'm going to win today. And that's, and that's it. There's, there's pretty much no other option. Be one of the things we hear so often about young prospects at power positions is that the power can be the last thing to come along because when you're a young hitter, sometimes, especially transitioning, you know, from a, a metal bat or a composite bat in the college game to playing with a wood bat, it's not anything that you guys are unfamiliar with, but that can be a transition that's, you know, comes with its own set of challenges. You haven't really had to deal with that quite as much. Five homers in your debut season and 30 games with Brooklyn in 2016, 18 homers last year between St. Lucie and Binghamton, and already eight this season. How have you felt like that's come along as a professional hitter because so many guys go through that swing where early on in their careers they're not really finding the barrel the same way they did as amateur players how has the power game developed for you well i mean i've always been i've always been a, a power hitter and in college i've hit i hit less home runs than i did in pro ball believe it or not um and i think it's because like i i like hitting with wood bats better because college bats you have to swing a certain model like you can't get whatever weight you want and it's kind of like uh whatever like um whatever the companies that your school's sponsored by it's whatever they have like that's what you get interesting like that's there's a like point. a couple like yeah and like in pro Bowl, i can i have i have my own model and then there's there's so many different but like models and and weights and and whatever like i can specify i can tailor my bat to to me as opposed to like let's say if like 
Easton, for example, like I had a lot of success swinging Easton bats, but they could never make the bat a little bit heavier. They couldn't make a 34-32 and make it the way I wanted it exactly. They can make something that I would like better than the other ones, but it's just because it's a metal bat and they can't manipulate it like the way that you can cut a wood bat. That so, is fascinating. To me, yeah, like there's so many different models like out there. Like it's it's unbelievable. Like if you look at the majority of Major League Baseball players, like most of them swing their own model of bat, and that and that fits their swing and that fits them as a player. And um, while we're talking about power and, and all that, obviously you you play a position at first base that you know it's typically geared towards power in order to climb the ladder. You're going to need to hit for power to kind of be that prototypical mm-hmm. first baseman, especially for right-handers. You know, I feel like we don't see a lot of right-handed first basemen unless they're, you know, somebody like Reese Hoskins who, who mashed everywhere, kind of like what you're doing. Do you feel like there's yeah. a, a bigger burden on you to kind of fill that profile and, you know, be a certain type of hitter just so you can keep climbing up through the system? No, not not necessarily. Like I know, like for me, like I'm I'm gifted with natural strength, and I, I've I've uh, taken my training regiment to another level as soon as I've gotten the pro ball, and like I I take pride in in, in the power. But the one thing that um, that I, I'm really like I really like stress about is like not only can I hit for power, like that's just me being a strong kid and, and me like lifting well in the off season, but one thing I really take pride in myself is that not only do I hit for power, like I hit, I've like, I hit for average too. Like I, I can hit for average and, and also give you those power numbers like as well, like consistently every year. Like, I feel like I'm a little bit more dynamic as opposed to just the, like the right, right, like slugger that just hits home runs. Cause I can handle the bat. I have a pretty good two, two strike approach and I can, I can get on base and score if like, if need be or, or lead off an inning get on base, work a walk, or, like, I feel like that that part of my game as, as well is, is really helpful, um, not just not just for my power. All right, well, Peter, I want to end on this one. Um, I don't know if you saw this quote yesterday, but it, it came from Sandy Alderson via Tim Healy of Newsday. Um, a quote by you where Sandy Alderson said, he's been great the first month of the season. Not only has he hit well, but his defense has apparently improved quite a bit. We're not really dealing with X number of months or years out at this point. He certainly put himself on the map. Um, so with the way this first month is gone, you look at the depth chart, you know, you know, Dom Smith is in Vegas, you know, Adrian Gonzalez is in the majors. Uh, it's a pretty well-defined depth chart right now at first base, but how close mm-hmm. do you really feel to the majors right now? And how much closer do you feel now than you did the end of spring? Well, I feel, I feel super close and I just really want to, I just really want to keep, keep mashing and keep playing great defense. And, and that's all I can do. And I mean, it, it does feel really close after after this month. And I mean, I just want to, I just want to do. I don't want to be any better. Like I just want to do the same thing as as I did, um, as I did in April. Because I mean, if if that happens, then the chips are going to fall, are going to fall in the in the right direction. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm working hard every day, working on uh, becoming a more polished hitter and becoming a, a more polished defender. And I, I just want to be able to, I just want to be able to to play well and, and and follow a dream, and that's it. All right, Pete. Last thing for you, we always ask this of guys who played a big time college programs, but even just in your draft year, AJ Puck, the sixth overall pick, Dane Dunning, 29th overall, Logan Shore, 47th overall, Buddy Reed, 48th overall, you're 64th overall, Sean Anderson's right behind you in the third round, Scott Moss in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. When you guys as Gators, uh, being a, a University of Florida product, have such a fraternity now in pro ball. I mean, even last year, Alex Faito was the 18th overall selection. What's that like to to be part of a family that there are so many guys who are going. through through this kind of along the same track that you are. I mean, Buddy Reed, we've talked about, feels like nonstop this year on the minor league side because of the start that he's had in the Padres system uh, to get mm-hmm. this year going. But how much do you get to keep up with those guys during the season? And what is it about that Florida program that's produced so much talent in recent years? Well, um, I mean, I mean, A, it's recruiting. I mean, Sully does a great job of, of finding talent. And then once he gets us there, like he puts us to work right away. Um, like, which is like, which is a good thing because it's we we establish that blue collar mentality because you can have like just a like a huge amount of talent, but you can't get if you don't work hard and if you don't 
get better as a player and as a person, and if you don't grow and mature, then that talent's going to go to waste. So when you go to University of Florida, it's not just like like guys that are just like top this, top that, Aflac All-Americans, like potential first rounders when they come out of school. Like you got to work your like you got to work your butt off in order to put yourself in that position. And and I've like at that program, like they do a fantastic job. And then this year you're going to have a couple other people, um, Jonathan India and Brady Singer, Jackson Kolar, uh, just to name a few. Like um, I mean, they like all those kids are are tremendous, tremendous people, and 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 they they've worked hard. I mean, those are former teammates and. There's going to be plenty of people like when it comes draft day that that are going to be really happy with with uh, their selection. So I mean, I mean it's just a I mean, I mean Florida players we work hard and we play hard. That like like you see it you see it in the game. Like we like no one everyone everyone's diving everyone's uniforms dirty. Like it's kind of it's a I mean like I said it's a blue collar mentality and everyone like busts their butts every day like in practice and in the game. Reigning national champs and the number one team in the country as well in three out of the four major polls and a program that has produced a hell of a lot of talent over the last few years, including the fourth-ranked prospect in the New York Mets organization, Peter Alonzo. You can find Pete on Twitter. He is at PeterAlonzo20. And, uh, Pete, we can't thank you enough for the time, man, and uh, best of luck keeping this rolling in, in Binghamton or Las Vegas or New York or wherever else you find yourself this year. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. We are headed into a weekend full of uh, an annual promotions tradition across minor league baseball, and uh, one of us will be on the road to catch some of the May the 4th promotions in the minors, and that's Benjamin Hill. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my right. Right. This week. Just everybody can update their seating charts now. Yeah, I have to start keeping track of, of – we'll take wagers on whether right or left is going to end by the – is going to win by the end of the year. Um, this weekend, Ben, hitting the road, May 4th, um, I guess isn't really a, a full weekend. Well, it's a Friday night. 4th and 5th, you're going to be on the road in Delmarva and Bowie, and Star Wars Night is in Delmarva on May 4th, as it is across the minor leagues in a lot of different landscapes. Um, but uh, give us a, a preview of this road trip. These are a couple of places you haven't been in a while yeah i mean so my, my road trip this will be the ninth season that i'm hitting the road and uh, visiting minor league ballparks um i'm kind of looking at uh, my I'm, I'm traveling in three different weekends in may but i'm kind of looking at it all as one trip at least in my mind that just that works for me but uh anyone is free to view it as however they wish but this weekend uh delmarva shorebirds may 4th Bowie Bay Sox May 5th and uh, then the following weekend uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday I'll be in Harrisburg uh, Lakewood, Lehigh Valley and then the following Friday in Trenton so that is my May travel and I'm looking forward to it but yes it kicks off with the Delmarva Shorebirds uh, on Friday and I haven't been there since 2011 nor have I been to Bowie since 2011 so this year I have a few teams uh, that I've never been to uh, which of course I'm trying to prioritize as I uh, you know, trying to go everywhere, uh, every active affiliated ballpark. But when I'm uh, making repeat visits, I'm really trying to hit places I haven't been in years so that, you know, it'll seem new to me and hopefully my material will seem new to everyone. And what you said, uh, according to these notes that you sent us, some of the stuff you're going to be looking forward to is Star Wars night and then Bo- Bowie, there's Negro League, Tribute Night, Art in the Park, a whole bunch of stuff. What are you most lo- looking forward to about some of the promos you're going to be seeing over the weekend? Right, and that's one of the reasons I um, kind of split up these May trips uh, over the weekends. Um, because through my years of travel, you know, a lot of the time I have to fly places. And uh, if I'm going to be traveling for a week or 10 days, of course, I'm just going to have to visit certain teams on a Monday or Tuesday. And uh, I've heard from team, uh, you know, people with front offices all all my entire career of doing this. It's like, oh, well, thanks for being here, but we should have been here this day. We wish you were here this day. Um, so since, you know, I'm based in New York and uh, these are all local-ish teams, I'm sticking with the weekend to um, – to, to have uh, big promotions for every team I'm visiting. So, yeah, May 4th, um, it is May the 4th with Delmarva, and they're giving a Manny Machado uh, Stormtrooper bobblehead, which I've not yet seen, but uh, I think we can all use our imaginations. And that's what you have yeah. to do on a podcast anyway. There's, <laughs> there's no visual component, at least none that I'm we aware of. We could have it in front of us, and they still wouldn't know exactly right. what it looks like. Right. Well, we could describe we it. Could, we, we are word, try our best. We're all wordsmiths, so yes. we, we would paint a picture in your mind that would virtually come to life. Um, and definitely uh, – 
in Bowie the next day, Negro League tribute night. Uh, I'm hoping to be able to interview some of the Negro League alumni who will be at that game. They're doing art in the park where they're going to be a local artist set up all over the concourse, all over the ballpark, painting during the game. And uh, it's Cinco de Mayo, and it'll be the first appearance of their uh, alternate identity, Cangrejos Fantasmas de Chesapeake. I, I think I sounded like a native Spanish speaker. Well, you sound like a native Chesapeake. Right, I do my best, but that means the ghost crabs of the Chesapeake, and so the Bowie Bay Sox will not be playing in Bowie that night. Instead, it will be the Cangrejos Fantasmas de Chesapeake, and I'm looking forward to seeing them, the ghost crabs. Do you have any idea what they're going to do to kind of incorporate ghost crabs other than just wearing the shirts and basic Cinco de Mayo stuff? I don't yet, um, but it's going to be an action-packed night with all the stuff uh, you know I mentioned going on, and I'm sure there'll be ghost crab elements as well. Um, I, I can't. I, I wanted to make a great joke regarding ghost <laughs> crabs, and I just uh, came up short. I I couldn't do it, and usually I have um, you know backup jokes uh, regarding all topics, including claws. Ah! I just messed up a joke. Never mind. <laughs> I don't even know where you were going with that. I'm, I'm yeah, I messed up the phrasing. Rewind. Were you going to go with reserve clause? Yes. Ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> kind of figured. As you got to but, clause, I was like, wait, what could the back? Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, by the way, that's game number one for uh, Bowie slash Chesapeake of the Copa de la Diversión, which you can check out all the info for at MILB.com. Teams across the minor league landscape are rolling those out. But Ben, uh, once again, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to remind people is um, going in on these road trips this year with a charity partner versus cancer. And that's a really cool thing. And tell everybody, if they missed it a couple episodes ago, tell everybody about the partnership, Ben. Yeah, we talked about this last week. So real briefly, once again, I'm, I'm uh, partnering with Versus Cancer, um, who raise money uh, to defeat childhood cancer and assist programs related to childhood cancer, uh, particularly uh, pediatric brain tumors. Uh, there's a Pledge It campaign online right now, just pledgeit.org slash Ben's Biz, where you can donate money to Versus Cancer based on the number of ballparks I'll be visiting, which is 25 ballparks. Um, you know, this campaign is in its early stages, but I hope it gains momentum throughout the, uh, throughout the season as I travel of these different ballparks and uh, keep mentioning it and hopefully uh, you know do my part to, to raise some money I just think it's a cool component this year um, to, to have a, a charitable endeavor attached to what I'm doing as well so I'm looking forward to it uh, pledgeit.org slash Ben's biz and we touched on what you're going to be doing on May the 4th where you'll be on May the 4th but obviously May the 4th is a big event all around the minor league spectrum the, this year it's a Friday there's going to be you know promos all over the place with this you did a, a little bit of this in promo preview this week uh touching on some of the big ones or some of the most notable ones right and i i think you just went through that setup without saying star wars that's true <laughs> it's just star wars is on my brain constantly so i, I feel like it's yeah and i'm, I'm not i'm not knocking before we get sued by the lucas people yeah, we, true, uh, yeah, maybe we can say Star Wars, and, and Sam, I'm not. I'm the not fights in space. <laughs> yeah, space wars, uh, and Sam, I'm not trying to call you out there. It's just that Sam knows so much about Star Wars that he doesn't have to say it. It's implied. It's running through. <laughs> it's running through his blood. So if you check out my latest promo preview column, which is rounding up some of the top May the Fourth Star Wars promotions in minor league baseball, uh, Sam contributed to that report. I don't think he was credited at the bottom, which That's he should okay. have been. He said he said don't worry about it. But all the uh, Star Wars references that seem like they were made some by someone who's actually seen Star Wars were uh, were written by Sam in that article. So a lot of stuff going on, a lot of theme jerseys, um, a lot of uh, goofy components all over minor league baseball. Sam, did any you know stick out to you since well, you I, are the Star Wars fan? I here? actually wanted to turn this around to you because I think it's more interesting to you know these are trying to have broad appeal. So mm -hmm. somebody who isn't a big Star Wars fan, which of these kind of stand out to you and would draw you to the ballpark? Oh, the I can go into my thing, and I will in a second. But uh, well, the tables have turned. Yeah, I, I think uh, not being a big Star Wars fan, but the biggest associations with the franchise I have are being a little kid. I was maybe four or five when Return of the Jedi came out, so I have, you know, little kid memories of it being a big, big thing when it was in its initial stage as just a trilogy. Uh, so I do like the Rochester Red Wings with the Ewok on the jersey because I liked Ewoks when I was a kid, and uh, you know that's about all I got in terms of stuff that. That really jumps out to me. I can only really identify people from the uh, first three movies, and they had to be one of the primary characters or very cute and cuddly like any walk. So you, here's my nerdy segment of the podcast. You know that for Return of the Jedi, how they had Ewoks, and Ewoks basically saved the universe, saved the galaxy, whatever, by attacking the dark side, attacking the Empire, whatever, helping the, the resistance. 
it was not initially supposed to be Ewoks. They were supposed to be Wookiees. It was supposed to be a planet full of Chewbacca's running around. And how cool would that have been instead of these little two and a half foot Muppets? That, running around the forest. That would have been pretty cool. It would have been more unsettling, I think, to a young mind. That's true, yeah. I think there were a lot of reasons why they went into went to Ewoks instead of... I think one of the reasons why was they didn't have enough Wookiee costumes. I think that'd be a part of it. I mean, you need a lot of... If you're going to have a Wookiee village, you're going to need a lot of Wookiee costumes. You're going to need a lot of Wookiee costumes. You're going to need a lot of people who are seven feet tall. Um, one of the... A couple of the ones that I really liked were the, the Finley costume bobblehead. Um... You know, he's supposed to be uh, Obi-Wan Fenobi, which I think is a pretty good pun as far as these things go. Um, it also looks like he's balancing a ball as if using the force himself. Kind of reminds me of, um, you know, when Luke was practicing his lightsabering against a floating ball. And that's, I don't know uh, if that was, you know, intentional or not, but that's what that kind of looks like. And that's like. Clearwater Thresher's mascot, Finley, yes. uh, who is a shark. Yes. Yeah, so, like, at least there's a fin thing going on there. I tried to make a reference to Ben a couple weeks ago that he really liked this because it's a reference to Ben Kenobi, but he didn't know who that was. So <laughs> we'll let that one go by. Um, also Altoona is doing Han Solo Jersey auction night. Um, they'll, are they, they're the only ones to wear Jar Jar Binks uniforms. Excuse me. I'm in, in, in 2016. Yeah. Yes. Why they did that. I have no idea. Nobody likes Jar Jar Binks, but everybody loves Han Solo. There's a Han Solo movie coming out. Very excited for that. Really excited to see how they've kind of put that together. Um, so the Altoona curve getting kind of ahead of that. You weren't there for any of that, Tyler, were you? No, I was not. That was, okay. that was after my time. I think I was there still well before the, uh, the initial run of the latest Star Wars collection of movies. So I can't get mad at you personally for the Jar Jar. No, 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 you can't. Um, do you mind if I do anyways? Yeah, why not? Off air later? I'm okay, I'm okay with it. Right. <laughs> just, just scream at me once we get done recording. <laughs> Off air later. Well, that's like Sam Nerdy Corner, and I can talk Star Wars people all day. You guys know where to find me on Twitter and all of that. But that's his other have, podcast. It's, that's my it's other podcast. Sam riffing about yeah. Star Wars for three it's, hours it's at a time. It's called Talk Nerdy to Me. <laughs> With Sam Dykstra. Yeah. With, no. God, no. I'd listen. Okay. No, you could say that in a better <laughs> voice. <laughs> Sam doesn't want to sit to my right anymore <laughs> or in any Sam, direction. Sam, who's in another room for this for next week's podcast. <laughs> Um, well, uh, shifting from one media release to another, um, the New Orleans baby cakes are going to be uh, suiting up for Brockmire night as the New Orleans Crawdaddies. And Brockmire, for those uh, who are unaware, um, Hank Azaria stars as a former Major League broadcaster, Jim Brockmire. It's on the network IFC, um, kind of a dark comedy, z- sort of in the same vein as Eastbound and Down, which was a, a former um, similarly dark comedy that was also about a, a baseball figure who went through a minor league phase and he was in a minor league ballpark. And uh, this year, Brockmire Night will come to New Orleans where the New Orleans Baby Cakes will turn themselves into the New Orleans Crawdaddies because at the end of last season, Brockmire, the character, uh, went to move to New Orleans where he was going to be the broadcaster in AAA in the hopes of moving up to Atlanta to take over there. But Something that drives me a little insane about this, the uh, the Baby Cakes posted a story on their site about becoming the Crawdaddies, but they evidently are going to become the Crawdaddy, C-R-A-W-D-A-D-D-Y apostrophe S. Not daddies as in D-A-D-D-I-E-S, and that will, uh, I don't know if that's actually the way it is uh, on the show, Brockmire, but it's going to drive me insane. Um, but Ben, tell us about this, uh, even apostrophe notwithstanding, taco apostrophe S. Yeah, I mean, I think that's because what it is in the show. And um, this actually, this promotion has happened. It happened, uh, well, we're here talking on Wednesday. It happened yesterday, May 1st, uh, in New Orleans, where they suited up as the New New Orleans Crawdaddies in honor of Brockmire Night. And um, I spoke to Trevor Johnson, uh, one of the team's sales reps, who, who played a huge role in putting this together. And it's interesting that he was watching this show. It came out last year. It was the second or third episode. And he uh, saw that Brockmire, he was played by Hank Azaria, you know, was drinking Sazerac beer. And that was his beer of choice. So he just tweets out like, hey, can we get Hank, Hank Azaria's Brockmire to come to a baby cakes game? It'll be sponsored by Sazerac beer. And almost immediately, one of the uh, executive vice, uh, vice presidents of IFC, on which the show airs 
responded to this tweet and said, let's make it happen. And this is before they even um, had announced that in season two, Brock Meyer would work, would do PA for the New Orleans Crawdaddies. So it's just kind of funny how minor league baseball promotions come about. This one started with a tweet over a year ago before there was even a New Orleans connection leading all the way to last night when they actually played as the Crawdaddies. And uh, the process to make it happen, you know, was somewhat torturous as minor league baseball promotions can be, including having to get permission from the Hickory Crawdads. Um, who you know had to grant permission to make that happen because crawl dads and crawl daddies is a very similar, uh, very similar thing. And so when I first saw this announced, I thought, well, hey, New Orleans is known for crawfish. I thought it was another food promotion, but it's this one's actually tied into TV. But in June, they were bringing the crawdaddies back in New Orleans, and they're going to play the Fresno Grizzlies, who are going to suit up as the tacos, and they're going to make a uh, uh, more of a food element to it when this comes back. So, man, minor league baseball is strange and confusing <laughs> and weird, but, hey, that's why we're all here. So crawdaddies, because of the hickory scenario or situation – Crawdaddies was never considered when New Orleans changed from the Zephyrs to the Baby Cakes, right? No, that was never any name associated. publicly, no. never left a room or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. But for one night, it's all okay. Yeah, the permissions, I didn't even really think about that with Hickory, but the permissions you have to go through even just to get the licensing from IFC to use this stuff because it's technically their property, and if you have any references to Brockmire Night and all this stuff, if you want to officially license merchandise, which, by the way, if you're a Baby Cake slash Crawdaddies fan, uh, they did, and they've got merchandise on sale at their site. Um, it's all kinds of, like Ben said, there's a, a ton that goes into making these promotions happen and a, a cool one in New Orleans. And uh, Brockmire Season 2, by the way, is on the air already, and Hank Azaria or any producer from IFC if you're listening yeah we'd love to have him on the show too so just throwing it out there um Benjamin Hill is on Twitter he's at Ben's Biz and the road trips start coming up this week and uh be safe Ben a couple of stops in the Orioles organization enjoy it and bring something back for Sam to nerd out on please I will come come on my podcast Ben I will man I, I can't wait to talk nerdy with you Finishing off this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, big thanks to Peter Alonzo again on Twitter at PeterAlonzo20 and Benjamin Hill. You can find it at Ben's Biz, and uh, we will leave you with this, MILB.TV. You can still get your subscription for the rest of the 2018 season with all of the short season balls still to come, six-plus weeks away. Uh, you won't miss out on hardly anything. You missed April? That's fine. Uh, get on the MILB TV bandwagon anyway. Sam, what are you watching this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I've got my eye on a pretty fun matchup uh, between Corpus Christi and San Antonio. It will be in San Antonio. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, at the top of the show, uh, Austin Allen is somebody who's made me pay attention these first couple weeks of the season. So, you know, he'll be in the heart of that missions lineup. Um you know, pretty much any time, you know, they take the field now. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., when we're talking about this, he homered today. That means two homers in his last two games. He's still around the Mendoza line, still struggling to get hot, really, go on a really hot run after a cold April. Um, but, you know, he's starting to flex the power a little bit. I feel like everything else is going to kind of fall into place. So those are two guys on the San Antonio side. On the Corpus Christi side, um, also today on Wednesday, Jordan Alvarez hit two home runs for Corpus Christi. That gives him six on the season. Uh, I'm writing a story on that as soon as we hang up on this call. Uh, so that will already be up on the site. But um, Alvarez, I think he's six foot five. He's listed at 225. If you ever see him, guy's built like a house, uh, kind of in a similar way to Eloy Jimenez. The only worry with him is you know, his approach from his time in Cuba is to kind of hit the ball on the ground, not really think about launch angle or anything like that. The Astros are really trying to change that, and we've already seen some of that come into place here in his first taste of the Texas League. Again, two homers uh, on Wednesday. Um, you know, I think that's his second career multi-homer game, first of the season. So everything start, seems to be kind of clicking into place with him. He's the number 98 overall prospect in MLB.com's rankings right now. If he can really show that power and really tap into it uh, in the months to come as the temperature even warms up uh, down there in Texas, then he is capable of being, you know, top 75, maybe even top 50 because of the way you know the physical beast that he is so uh it's always fun to see him when he does make really good contact and you'll be able to see him this week on milb tv uh taking on that really fun san antonio team 
Um, I'm going to go with uh, somewhat of a cop-out answer in that it's not exactly a baseball-related answer, but is a uh, a promo-related answer. The Round Rock Express coming up on Saturday. For those of you who are Walking Dead fans, or more accurately, Fear the Walking Dead fans, um, over the offseason, Fear the Walking Dead actually took over Dell Diamond, the home of the Round Rock Express, and used it as a set to film, uh, I, I guess, uh, like a camp, kind of a survivor's refugee camp, people that took up um, refuge inside of a baseball field and for a plot line coming up on this season of Fear the Walking Dead. Um, and Dell Diamond served as that backdrop. So coming up on Saturday, Fear the Walking Dead will be honored in the uh, Round Rock Armadillos taking the field against the Iowa Cubs, and if you are a nerd who enjoys the Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead like some of us, uh, although I've definitely fallen off the bandwagon in in recent seasons, but neither here nor there. Uh, You can still tune in on Saturday and catch that, and uh, part of the reason why um, I'm going with that is I'll have a story coming up on that on the site next week, and what all it took to you know do the promo um, coming out of filming the series there, similarly to what we discussed with Brockmire, whether it's the approvals from AMC, how you get the network to buy in, you're using things that are in tribute to the show, but you're also using elements of the show, what it was like filming the show there, basically destroying the field, I would imagine, to make it look like a refugee camp. Um, all that stuff and more will uh, will be in the story coming up next week. So uh, a chance to watch for, um, you know, non-specifically explicit baseball-related things. Although, you know, there are still some fun guys to watch on that Round Rock team. Willie Calhoun, who we have talked to on the show before, has not yet gotten it going super hot for the Round Rock Express, but he does have three home runs this season. Brett Nicholas. How about Brett Nicholas kind of coming out of nowhere, the Rangers prospect? Uh, I don't know if he would technically still qualify as a prospect. I think he's nearing 30, but Brett Nicholas is hitting – um, as something around 9,000 this season. Uh, no, but he is batting 337 with an 1146 OPS. So some fun components on that Round Rock team as well. So there. Watch yeah, for the baseball. Uh, Don't watch for the baseball. I, ju- I just like that it, you're using a actual minor league baseball game as if it's like the trailer for your story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> watch this game and then this get excited market. for my story. And then get excited out. for the story next week. That's the whole point. It's, you know, it's all to drive those clicks, Sam. <laughs> what it is i just like it age. as opposed to some of the other stuff we do which is like hey read my story so you can get excited about this game it's the nope. other way i'm, the other way I'm okay with that we're flipping the script that's what's happening um so that'll do it for this week's edition episode number 158 of the show before the show again we're both on twitter sam's at sam dykes or milb i am at tyler mon and you can email the show podcast at milb.com if you have good deals on awnings to sell us or um what else we got something this week from the daughter of the slain president of yemen who wanted us to go in on an investment opportunity which i'm sure will i handed over my social security number and like all of my bank information did you do that too Yes, yes. So yeah. okay, if good. we're, we're not here next no week, it's because we're obviously filthy rich. Yeah, we've retired. Um, we're just, you know, off running around the world globetrotters with our, uh, you know, our international currency. I think in several different types, it's been deposited into our bank accounts. It's Whoever said you can't get rich off podcasts obviously doesn't get our emails. They don't know the people who email us, the daughters of, uh, of politicians worldwide who want us to go in on investment schemes. It's, yeah. These are these are elite circles that we're running. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mall. We'll talk to you next week on the show before the show podcast.